Our study of Galatians has brought us to chapter 6, and we welcome you to our study here on the Radio Bible Course. I'm reading today from verse 1 of Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each man will have to bear his own load." I pointed out earlier that verse 1 of chapter 6 is somewhat of a test verse. It tests whether a Christian is spiritual. A spiritual Christian will reach out and lift up someone who has stumbled. The one who is not spiritual will dismiss such a person. He'll go away from him and perhaps even condemn him. Paul said, if you are spiritual, you should restore the one who has tripped up, who has fallen, or as the Revised Standard Version says, overtaken in any trespass. Now, what we have here is a continuation of what Paul discussed in the previous chapter. That's walking by the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Perhaps there was a spirit of competition in the churches as suggested by not provoking of one another. That's how the previous chapter ended. And there perhaps was also envy in the churches of Galatia, and envy is that craving to be or to have what belongs to another. Now the test of the spiritual person is how we respond to the one who has been tripped up this word means that he fell or slipped when his guard was down. It is not a deliberate participation in something evil. It's like slipping on the ice, or it's like tripping over something that one doesn't see. And Paul uses the word restore. That's a present tense, which means continually do it. Keep on restoring or keep on helping him, the one who has fallen. Give continual attention to repair or to mend his life. Now we're talking about the spiritual Christian. Most people won't do this, but the spiritual Christian will. And how we have failed to be spiritual Christians. It's easier to condemn someone who falls than to lift them up because it takes effort, it takes your time and your attention to help those who have fallen. But at the same time, we need to be aware that what happened to that person can also happen to me. Now there is more in this passage in the last clause. It tells us that you who are spiritual should restore him, but how should you restore him? in a spirit of gentleness. It's fairly easy to go to a person who has done something stupid and fallen into sin and say you should have known better, but that's hardly the spirit of gentleness. 
He needs encouragement. He needs to be lifted up. He's already wounded in his spirit, and he doesn't need the rebuke of a self-righteous Christian. But he will respond to the spirit of gentleness. And Paul adds, look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. When I think of the men who have fallen, I realize that it didn't take much to cross that line before they were in deep trouble. And it's by the grace of God, perhaps, that I too have not fallen into the same kind of shame. Now Paul adds in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Well, when a person falls into sin, that becomes a burden. We have to help bear it. But more than sin, people have problems. They lose jobs. They have accidents. Some are poor. Others need counsel. Many are the woes that Christians experience. And in the church, which is a family of believers who all have the same Father and who all possess the same Spirit, we need to have a family concern. That means bearing one another's burdens. Do what you can to help relieve the burden of another Christian. Now that becomes a good work. But he adds this, when you do bear one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. Well, some people might say, I didn't know that Christ had a law. He's not talking about the law of Moses now. This is the law of Christ. Did Christ give us a law? He gave us one law. And I notice that Paul refers to this as one law, the law of Christ. What is it? He expressed it to his apostles on the night before he was crucified. He gathered them in an upper room. And in John chapter 13, commonly referred to as the upper room discourse, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Well, what does he mean by love? He means bearing one another's burdens, doing good for others at your expense, reaching out and being concerned about others in the faith instead of yourself alone. Loving means you won't have any selfishness. It means you will be without selfishness as you reach out to other people constantly. Then you are fulfilling the law of Christ. If you have your hand out trying to receive something from others instead of giving something to others, then you do not fulfill the law of Christ. You are trying to get other people to bear your burdens instead of bearing others' burdens. Now, the new commandment is Christ's law. And it's contrasted in John chapter 15, still in that upper room discourse, when Jesus said in verse 24 and 25, But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. It is to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Why did Jesus say, it is written in their law? Wasn't it also the law of the apostles? Not anymore. Jesus made the distinction. Here are the men who are going to be 
the pillars of the church. The church is going to be built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And the day before he was crucified, Jesus referred to the Old Testament law of Moses as the law of the Jews. He said, their law, not your law. Now this is significant because he has been talking in this upper room about the new commandment versus what Moses had given to Israel. He's making a distinction. And here is the commandment for the church, the only commandment that we have, which if we fail to perform in, we are total failures as Christians. If you have only one thing that we are told to do, and we do have that one thing, it's the new commandment in John 13, 34, and 35, and we fail to do the one thing that Christ asked us to do, then of course we are total failures. So Christ's commandment was his law in contrast to the Old Testament law of commandments. Now in 1 John chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, we have the answer to what many people say. Well, didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments, plural? And they're puzzled about this. And I ask if uh, you you have a hang-up about that expression, then you better get out a piece of paper and list the commandments which Jesus gave so that you will see them in front of you. If you do not believe that he gave us one new commandment, then make a list of all the commandments you think he did make. Now, First John chapter 3, verse 22 reads, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Yes, that reinforces the plural, commandments. But now listen to what John says. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. John takes all what might be considered commandments of Jesus and gives us one twofold commandment. It's to believe in the name of the Son and it's to love one another just as he commanded us. Now that defines what the commandments of Jesus are. What Paul has written here is quite similar to what Paul wrote to the Romans. Apparently they had the problem of not helping one another in the church either. The church is a fellowship of helpers, people who will lift up one another, comfort one another, help one another. Big churches can hardly do that. It seems to be that the smaller churches do it more effectively because everyone gets involved and everyone knows everyone else. I don't think God ever envisioned that churches should be huge. We have mega churches today, thousands and thousands of people. And over in Korea, they talk about a church that has over a hundred thousand people. Well, that's fine if there is the kind of concern in those churches and small groups that take care of everybody. For some reason, we think bigger is better. But the larger a church gets, 
the less effective it becomes. Now, it might be effective in impressing the world, but it won't efficiently take care of the needs of the saints when it's large. Now, there are some large churches that are effective, and we thank God for them. But we need to keep in mind, the church needs to help its own. We need to lift up one another and bear one another's burdens so that we can fulfill the law of Christ. Now listen to that passage in Romans chapter 15 that shows that there was a problem in that church also. Paul writes, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's very similar to what we're reading here in the opening verses of Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, we all ought to ask, Is my church fulfilling the law of Christ? Are the people fulfilling the law of Christ? That's a good test for an effective church. Well, I see our time has elapsed, so we'll have to continue our study tomorrow, and I hope you'll join me here on the Radio Bible Course. Many people have questions about prayer. To whom should a Christian pray? For what should he pray? And what does it mean to pray in his will? These questions are all answered in our four cassette tapes on understanding prayer. But I want to warn you, You'll hear some shocking ideas, but they're biblical. Write today for information about our prayer tapes. Till tomorrow, this is Nikella Voda, reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.